Welcome back to the program. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is On Point. We have a really exciting hour ahead for you. We've got our counterpoint panel coming up just after 8.15, talking about the big news stories of the day with our panelists. Uh, and uh, more later in the program, we're going to talk about a possible interest rate hike. Well, not possible. I think it's pretty much on the table that the Bank of Canada is going to raise rates by 75 basis points and what that really means to homeowners' payments, how your payments could change uh, if that was to happen. Uh, JP Morgan recently said that a one percentage point hike was not off the table. That would be the first time I think in history, I may be wrong, but definitely in decades that something like that has happened. Even the 75 basis point hike would be the first time in more than 40 years that they've raised rates that aggressively. They're calling it a mega hike. The 50 basis points was called an oversized hike, and this one's called a mega hike. Uh, regardless, however you look at it, money's getting more expensive. And uh, for those people who have purchased homes in the last year, maybe especially in the last six months, and if they decided to go variable on their mortgage, they're definitely worried about their ability to pay those, uh, make those mortgage payments, especially if they got in just, you know, at the top of their budget and uh, are putting most of their money towards uh, owning their home. I know how it feels when you first buy a house. It's really expensive in the beginning, right? You've got all those costs that go into moving and then you've got this cost of uh, your home, your mortgage. And when you buy a house, you got to buy stuff for the house and all these things just add up. And especially if you're a young couple and you're not at the beginning, or even if you're a young person on your own and you're not at the top of your mortgage, uh, top of your salary rather, uh, it can be hard sometimes to make all of those uh, things happen uh, with the finances that you are, that are in front of you. So we'll look forward to that, uh, conversation coming up, what Canadians should be doing, what we should be doing here in Ontario, especially if you've bought a house in the last little while, how you can protect yourself as interest rates go up. We wanted to get to a story that's uh, unfolding right now in Victoria. The, uh, 13 provincial leaders are meeting in Victoria right now, uh, to, uh, talk to the federal government about a number of different things. And one of the things they are going to be discussing is, uh, healthcare costs. As you know, in the last two years, healthcare costs have gone up because of the pandemic. Uh, a lot of money has gone from certain services that has gone straight into pandemic relief, uh, one of the problems is not necessarily that uh, there isn't enough beds, because that used to be the issue before, that there wasn't enough beds to handle the patients, but there's actually just not enough people. There's not enough nurses or doctors. And part of the reason is, is that the cost of that is unsustainable. The cost that the pandemic has cost every province is now um, getting to a point where they're asking now the federal government to pitch in more. Those healthcare transfers, they want them to be higher. Um, it could immediately mean, right now, Ottawa funds about 22% of healthcare costs for provinces, to put into context. They want them to up that to 35%. That would be a $28 billion the difference. Could that be what we need uh, to get over this last hump, hopefully, of the end of the pandemic, although we are still in it? We like to think about the pandemic being over, but it certainly is not over. Uh, Dr. Sean Watley is a senior fellow at the McDonnell-Laurier Institute and author of the recent book, When Politics Comes Before Patients, Why and How Canadian Medicare is Failing. Welcome to the program, Dr. Watley. Thank you, Ravina. Um, what's your uh, reaction to the, the provinces asking for money, for more money from the federal government in light of all the costs that they've had to endure because, uh, because of the pandemic? 
Well, it certainly seems reasonable, doesn't it, right? Costs have gone up. Hey, we need more money. But those of us, and I'm sure you're in this boat as well, who have been following these headlines for several decades even, it's the same thing over and over, right? Funding, 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 funding. We can save everything with more money. And I don't think that's working. It hasn't worked in the past, but buried within this whole discussion for this meeting that's going on right now in Victoria, it's not just about funding. It's also funding and control. So on one side, the provinces want more money without a ton of accountability. Just give us money from the feds, right? And the feds want more control without having to pay for it. So yeah, we'll give you money, but uh, we want strings attached. Um, but we're not really going to fund all of the work that you do. So that's the tension there, funding and control. And with uh, the feds only picking up about 20% of the tab, it's kind of like a tip that they're giving, but yet they get to still say what's on the menu. So it, it, what what is the solution then? Should the feds have more control, create a more nation national healthcare system that serves the country rather than provinces sort of making their own decisions as to, you know, we hear the difference of, uh, of across the country, uh, how the healthcare systems operate. Uh, just, just today, we're going to Quebec for a, a road trip in a couple of weeks. My husband asked, do we have coverage when we're in Quebec? You know, like, do we need, I mean, we do, but do we need, uh, do we need a federal system to kind of protect all Canadians equally somehow? So you asking that question is exactly where we need to start. And and actually, this was supposed to have been hammered out in 1867 with the Constitution Act. It used to be called the it's British It's only been a couple Act. of years since then. <laughs> yeah, only a few years, right? And so Section 92 says that health care lives with the provinces, aside from military hospitals and, you know, marine hospitals. But people can check out the Constitution Act. It's very short. However, however... The federal government has this sneaky thing called federal spending power. So they can collect more tax dollars than they have to spend on programs that they're responsible to deliver. So what they did starting in 1948 is they gave these little bribes. And I call that, use that word intentionally. They gave bribes to the provinces to start building healthcare system. It started in 1948. Hey, build hospitals. 1957. Hey, we'll pay 50%. These are the feds talking. We'll pay 50% of whatever you spend on care in hospitals. And then in 1966, hey, we'll pay 50% of whatever you spend on doctor services. And so those are the pillars of our Medicare system. Then in the early 1970s, the first Trudeau government said, hey, we can't afford paying. We've never even paid close to 50%, but we can't keep up with the provinces. They're spending money hand over fist. And you can't blame the provinces, right? I would spend money too if I knew the feds were picking up 50% of the bill. So in 1977, the federal government turned off that tap, no more blank checks, and now the provinces were on the hook. And we've been debating this, how much are the provinces really having to pay versus the feds since 1977? Why would the feds want to have control over the provincial health healthcare system? What what would that give them if they, it, like you said, the, you know, they they say, okay, we'll give you this, but it has to come with these strings attached. Okay, so you need to be running for office and not on the radio because that is exact. And I'm not just pumping your tires here. That's exactly the question that needs to be asked. Why do they want control? So there's a whole debate. You know, they want to build the nation and pull us together and give us a national identity or be able to have oversight or be involved with research and have regulations. So there's a whole argument about why we should have a one size fits all for the whole country. However, then you have to look at what is Canada. 
Canada. Canada is actually a federalist uh, uh, system. And so right from day one, the provinces wanted to have their own flavor. We're a, a country of regions. Things are very, very different in Hudson's Bay versus uh, out in Newfoundland somewhere. And, and so when you look at how Canada has developed over time, that's why we have the 13 systems. So if we want to blow it up and start from scratch, great, let's have that discussion. But that's not the discussion we're having right now. We're speaking to Dr. Sean Watley, a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and, and the author of the book, When Politics Comes Before Patients, Why and How Canadian Medicare is Failing. What is your assessment of the last two years, the way the pandemic has been handled? There's been so much criticism of, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've obviously focused on the pandemic for obvious reasons, but so many other services have just fallen by the wayside. I mean, my own kid's pediatrician still will not see them in person if they are sick, which is a real bone of contention for me because I'm like, well, what's the point? If if I can't bring them in when they're sick, then what is the purpose of you? You know, because bring them in for, you know, yearly checkups and stuff. Okay, fine, fair enough. Those are important. But I need you to tell me whether my son needs to go to the you know hospital or whether Tylenol and Advil is enough. Uh, what what do you make of the last couple of years and the way things have unfolded? All right. You've given me a juicy opportunity to start slamming on your doctor. I'm not going to do that. Um, I have no idea what they're dealing with, whether they have a high risk population with a bunch of cancer patients until they just can't have other patients in the office. Who knows what's going on there? Fortunately, most docs though are seeing most patients in person. At least I hope that's a trend. That's a trend outside of the GTA anyways. But you made a great point when you said, what about all these other services in the pandemic? Now, Man, what a hard job to, to, to be Minister of Health during a pandemic. Um, and, and I don't think anyone would have done a perfect job. Having said that, we became obsessed with one risk. And I, I certainly wrote many articles about this saying, people, listen, we've had people dying from cancer on wait lists long before COVID. How many people are going to die from COVID versus how many people are dying from everything else? You know, heart attacks and strokes and cancer and on and on. And we're totally not even looking at those services. So that's what I'm most frustrated about for the last two years of the pandemic. Uh, Dr. Watley, at the beginning of the, uh, just at Christmas time, sorry, not the beginning of the pandemic, beginning uh, just at Christmas, my mom fell and fractured her hip. And about oh. three months, she was in rehab for quite a while, but about two months oh. into rehab, they called and said, we don't have enough uh, staff to take care of her day-to-day needs. So we're putting you on a list of people to call, like to do, you know, we wouldn't have to do medical, obviously, procedures, but, you know, there's there's uh, there's staff there that helps her with her with her hygiene and other things. And it was, it, it sort of, you know, all of a sudden slapped us in the face, like how weak our healthcare system is right now and how, you know, what if my mom didn't have family? You know, what about those people that don't have individuals that are willing to show up and help them do things that they need in the hospital. It really is a, a scary a scary situation that we find ourselves in. What do we need to do? You said money isn't the solution. What do we need to do for the next 18 months, two years to, I mean, they say fix the healthcare system. I'm not sure if that's the right way to describe it or, you know, get us back out of the pandemic to, to some kind of normal. 
Yeah, so um, I love this quote. This is from Tom Sowell. He's an economist in the States. The most important decision about every decision is who gets to make the decision. So the most important decision about every decision is who gets to make the decision. And we skip over that step every time we talk about fixing anything in healthcare. It's like, oh yeah, you get to make the decision as long as the idea sounds good. So I think we need to get governance before policy. And I just wrote a piece about this in the hub as well. Who gets control? Because whoever gets control we can also hold them accountable. If it's the feds, great. If it's the provinces, great. It will never be entirely the feds. It'll probably be the provinces. But even when we look at the provinces, do they have their governance house in order? Does it make sense? For example, in Manitoba a few years ago, the quality of toast toast, as in bread, cooked bread, the quality of toast served in hospitals became an election issue in the <laughs> province of Manitoba. I mean, you, that's governance chaos. You cannot have that kind of chaos and expect you're going to fix anything. So at least start there. And then I have a long list of other ideas, which we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah, no. Dr. Wally, thank you so much uh, for joining the program today and uh, bringing us up to date on what's happening. Uh, the Premier's in Victoria uh, talking about asking the federal government for more money to get them through uh, the next while because of all the money it's cost to, to get through the pandemic and how they want the federal government to kick in more. Whether that's the solution or not, we don't know. At least I don't know. Uh, but I really appreciate you uh, weighing in and, and giving us your insight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That was uh, Dr. Sean Watley, a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and author of the book, When Politics Comes Before Patients, Why and How Canadian Medicare is Failing. Provinces saying they want the federal government to kick in more money uh, to... In some, you know, in their own words, uh, uh, get healthcare that get provincial healthcare back on track, rebuild the healthcare system. I'm not sure it's been, you know, demolished to the ground. I think it just needs to be. Uh, we need to think about our new normal and learn from the pandemic. You know, some virtual meetings are good. Uh, sometimes it's nice to not have to leave your room. Uh, and go to the doctor's office. You can get help over the phone, but sometimes you got to get into the doctor's office so we can save some money. We can find efficiencies in some ways, but um, uh, after the pandemic, I, I hope we have learned some lessons that we will keep um, and that the provinces are able to work it out uh, so that we can get healthcare, whether in, you're in the Yukon, Newfoundland, Toronto, or Vancouver, it's all the same. That would be, I think, the utopian world we all dream about.